Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 20 of the JewishBoston.com podcast. I am your co-host, Jesse Orch, and I'm very excited to introduce my newest co-host and my newest co-worker, Ashley Jacobs. Say hi to, say hi to everyone, Ashley. Hello. Quickly, tell me one interesting thing about you. Oh, geez. Okay. Um, I was very involved with the radio station in college. All right, radio. Uh, yes, hosted four shows, so it's really good to be back and doing interviews. Excellent. You're a pro. All right. <laughs> no. uh, today, we are talking to Rabbi Katie Allen, the president of the Jewish Climate Action Network, about Judaism, climate change, and what, as Jews, we should be doing. Um, and with that, to the theme song. Hello. Hello. It's so good to be here. So good to have you here. Thank you so much for taking the time to speak with us. Uh, do you want to tell us a little bit about yourself? Sure. So I've actually had a lifelong interest in nature, in the environment. Um, I actually started my career as a science teacher, biology teacher, and came to the rabbinate late in life after being involved in Jewish education for quite a while, and I founded my Antikva Wellspring of Hope as an out, and I lead outdoor services all year round, so it's a rather unusual venue for services, but I just love praying outside. It feels very meaningful and opening to me. And in 2013, in December, actually at Limud, Boston, the Jewish Climate Action Network was founded um, it's something that I'd been wanting to do for a long time, feeling a real need to have Jewish and climate action together, all in the same you know, name of something, and to be able to find a way to work on climate action through, through, through my Jewish life. Because for me, the two are intri intricately connected, and so working in a secular organization wasn't working for me. And so I've been really delighted to just bring people along with me over time. Um, and it is, it's, very, it's, it's very wonderful to have this organization. I also work in um, Framingham at the Open Spirit, which is a multi-faith and wellness center, and, I, um, and the facilitator of the One Earth Collaborative there, which is about our spiritual connection to the earth. And that's, that's interfaith work. I, I've been a chaplain previously. I worked as a hospital chaplain at the Brigham for many years and as a hospice chaplain. And so now I do what I call eco-chaplaincy. And for me, all of the work that I do that connects to the environment, to nature, to the world beyond ourselves is my chaplaincy, my eco-chaplaincy work today. So let's talk about the Jewish Climate Action Network and what it does. Um, I'll, let you, I'll let you describe the work that you do and then we can talk about the work itself. Okay, so the, the main focus of the work that is particular to what we do and that we initiate and that we drive is what we call the benchmarking campaign. And if you look at the spelling of it, you'll see that it's a little bit of a play on word with benching. 
And so, but the idea being that getting synagogues engaged to begin by measuring their energy usage over the course of a year. It's a very simple task. Takes a basically finding some bills or connecting to the energy companies and then putting it into a, a spreadsheet. That's very simple to do. Once that's been done, then the idea is to look at the building and the whole organization and say, what are the ways that we can cut back our energy consumption? And so w we began with just trying to get synagogues on board with the benchmarking campaign. And now we've, we're working with synagogues to help them find ways to make deep cuts to energy. There are, there are sort of easy ways to make cuts of 15% or 20%, but we're really looking at a bigger goal of 50%, maybe more, like radical deep cuts. You know, that's the goal that we're working towards. And there are a lot of people in the energy field I'm not a technical person myself, but there are people who are involved in these things that are finding that this is possible more and more. And so I, I can't give you details about those things just because you know that's, those aren't my fields, but I do know that we have people who are connected to us or working with us who are really doing amazing things in terms of allowing that to happen. So over time, so the main work that we do really involves around synagogues and with buildings, but we've developed what we call our holistic benchmarking campaign. The reason for that is because ultimately climate change demands of us really a whole sustainable lifestyle and, and living in a way that, that is not what we're doing now. So holistic benchmarking encourages synagogues of any kind not to just to look at their building, but to look at their food stream, the food and waste stream, to look at their spiritual, you know, how are people doing spiritually, to provide education, to look at finances, because our money can be supporting the fossil fuel industry, even if we think that we're getting out of it in other ways, but our money may be invested in fossil fuels infrastructure and, and other kinds of companies. And so, so this is the idea and transportation and how do you look at the whole life of the community and begin to re-envision re the way that we are in relationship as community to our planet. I mean... Other than the fact that's amazing and that, that you're focusing on the things that the sort of tangible things that temples and, and synagogues can measure, you know, how much energy are they using, how are they handling food, how are they handling transportation, and trying to get them to the minimal usage. That right. That and the other do. piece of it that's really important is the advocacy because we can change as individuals and we can change as communities, but we need to have change that goes beyond that. We don't, we don't initiate actions and advocacy for the most part, but we do sort of provide those opportunities to our communities and even encourage communities to get involved in those things together as, as a community. So 
there are other some other organizations that are really on top of all of the you know whatever bills there might be before the state house that can really make a difference in making it m more possible to move towards clean energy and that can be incentives for that in a variety of ways so that's something we are constantly putting information about that out to our communities as well how are you uh, sharing this information so we have um, uh, we have a, a website, jewishclimate.org. And so that, that sort of has the, the, you know, we don't have daily kinds of weekly things on there. That's the sort of bulk of the background information. And if you want to get involved in the, in the benchmarking campaign or you want to have speakers come to your synagogue, you can find out some resources there and that kind of things. things. But then we also have a listserv that goes out to people who are more actively involved in JCAN, and then we have an email list that goes out a couple of times a month, and so we update people about things that are coming up either directly related to JCAN or things that we are suggesting that people get involved in. And then we have meetings once or twice a month, and people are invited to come to those, and it's a really good way for people from different synagogues to connect who are concerned about these things because what ha can happen in a synagogue is that there are like so many roadblocks that you can come up against in terms of trying to to implement changes. And it provides a good vehicle for people to say, this is what I'm concerned about, this is what I'm struggling with, maybe get some suggestions, people to say, this is a success we had and this is how it happened. Then we also provide educational opportunities throughout the year. There are two different kinds of things that we do. So one is just like Jewish text, what's Jewish you know, some kind of Jewish way to connect to climate. So this past year, Rabbi Natan Margalit taught a six-week class. It was really fabulous. We've had Rabbi David Seidenberg, Rabbi Judy Coomer, and we'll be doing some programming again around those in that way in the, f in the coming year again, something we make sure to offer every year because it's like so important is to say, well, why is this Jewish? What's Jewish about this? And how do we connect to this? Because it's sort of subtle in Judaism. It's not like blatant. It's not like there's con the Torah is not constantly saying, you know, take care of the earth in the same way that it's saying take care of the poor and the, you know, and the orphan and the widow that just kind of gets drummed into our heads constantly. So then also we have, like, we had this what we called text study, T-E-H-C-T-E-C-A text study, um, which was people from a variety of, energy kinds of companies that could give like the real sort of deep information about how you changes that you can make and that was um so we so we're trying to provide people with also education about how to how to go forward and and so we've had some other kinds of things too but that's yeah we so those are the basically the ways that we reach out to the community and get people involved we're also we also reach out to synagogues individual bases we have a an intern working with us this summer so she's gonna do some some more outreach which is going to be really great because we're all volunteers you know we're all people with with other jobs and doing oh other yeah. things but passionate about this so yeah we we reached out to people who work at cjp to ask you know ask what kind of questions they had for you and a lot of them focused on what can we as individuals do obviously climate change is in the news as uh, the U.S. pulled out of the Paris Climate Agreement. We're still not 100% sure what its official name is because everyone calls it by different things, but climate change and 
our collective goal of reducing CO2 emissions and what people can do by themselves, what people can do as groups, what people can do as states, what people, what people can do as cities. It's, it's everywhere now. So people are very curious about, like, if someone cares about the environment and wants to start but doesn't know what to do, like, what is, what is the individual route? What is, like, mm-hmm. the collective route? And then what is, like, the community route? Right, and 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 the, it's great the way you phrased the question because all of these are Thank important, um, and and they feed on each other. You know, the more community a congregation gets involved in and sees what they can do, the more that inspires individuals, and the more people do things individually and see what they can do. You know, it goes both ways. It's really, it really feeds in both directions. So. I have been told by people who know that the two most significant things that you can do to reduce your carbon footprint are to go to solar and to switch to an electric car. So it's possible, you know, solar panels on your roof are fantastic, um, and there are actually ways that, that are available now that don't have upfront money for people who can't do that. There's also ways through the electric companies to to choose where your electricity is coming from. So the more that people choose those options, it becomes something that then drives the future more and more too. So those choices are are really important. I would say that the other really important thing is on an individual basis is to make sure that your representatives know that you care. And that's something that each person that's that can be seen as an individual action or can be seen as you know a political action, but it's the fact of the matter it's each person doing it. So it is ultimately picking up the phone or writing the email and saying, you know, this is at the top of my list of things that are important. Even if, for example, if you live in Massachusetts, your representative or senator might agree with you on said issue, the fact that you express that it is very important to you. It's just as important as it would be if it was someone else. Right. And the other piece of that is that there's a lot of really important uh, legislation that takes place at the state level, too. And so letting our letting our state representatives know is, is, is super important. And the fact of the matter is it's like really easy for your state rep to begin to know you because not that many people, you know, get in touch with them. So a few emails and they'll start to know who you are so and and notice so those are really good good ways to get involved too there are other things that that can be done and actually the Jewish Climate Action Network has started a program that we call the decarbonizers and it's a great program because you don't have to bring anybody in from outside what you do is you look around your congregation you find somebody who has put solar on, somebody who's bought a solar car, somebody who has solar hot water, somebody who's put in a heat pump. You know, you get these people, and generally when people have done it, they're passionate about the impact of it. And so you get them together for, you know, whatever kind of an event you're having anyway, and give them the opportunity to share their experiences. And it's really effective. Um, The first time it was done, like within a week there were some emails that came into the organizers email about actions that people had taken that they you know somebody decided you know what this was the tipping point for me to go out and buy this the electric car that I'd been thinking about but wasn't doing so so it can really 
build community too and a good feeling, then it gives people the opportunity to to share what they have done and for other people to learn from those. So, you know, transportation is a huge use of um, fossil fuels, obviously. The electric car is one route. We can't, maybe can't all do that. So what are the ways that you can use public transportation, carpool, you know, think about ways to reduce how you use gasoline. Um, the list goes on and on, yeah. And uh, decarbonizers, when did that launch? The first one was this past year. Um, I forget what month it was, but uh, just we've started that this past year in the, I think it might have been February. I'm not sure. Yeah, and we've there been a there've been a couple of them so far, so we're we're really interested in getting other synagogues to take that on too as a great program. Let me ask you this, like as a personal use question, how important is both like paper and plastic recycling? Because and maybe you remember this, but I remember there was a time when what I was hearing was that like paper recycling, for example, was actually it was sort of an a net zero because the process in which paper had to be recycled caused its own sort of environmental waste. And so, but like I know that we've transitioned now to sort of post-use paper. And so I'm, I'm curious, like what is the, are those things worth worth the time and the energy or are there easier things to do? It's e- really easy for people to say, well, I'm recycling, you know, and to feel good about it. And it's definitely better than throwing stuff into the trash. There's no question about that. I'm not enough of an expert to be able to give you the details of, you know, actual energy use or resource use or so on. But it's also really clear that not using something as opposed to using it and then recycling it, you know, that's like clear that it's going to be less energy to to not use something. So reducing is super more important and and reusing something also just diminishes as you're saying you know the the, because there is environmental impact from recycling too there's no question about that so we really we're really the thing that's really kind of difficult this sort of core piece of all this is like how do we actually change how we live so that we live in a way that is sustainable we can think of ourselves as we're sitting in this building and nature's out there or the environment's out there. The reality is that we're a fundamental part of it. And what do we do? And this is where the sort of real spiritual questions come into it is like, what do I do so that I feel more a part of that? And how do I change my life in a way that makes it more sustainable. It makes it possible for me to live with less damage to the planet. And there are no easy answers to that. And it's a it's really it's a real deep journey for us to take. You know, I know personally, like, yeah, I've made steps, but I don't feel like I'm there. And I think that I mean there's some people who are really committed to making those changes and have and yet and they may have made more changes than I've made, and yet still there's something missing. So it's like there's always another step. So it's it's just important to to keep reaching for the next step because it's both the physicality of what we do day to day 
and our emotional and spiritual response to the whole thing. So it's complex. It's hugely complex. And if you think about climate change, I mean, it's overwhelming. We're talking about our planet. We're not talking about, we are talking about our neighborhood, but we're talking about the whole planet. And in a way, in actuality, I don't think our minds can really, our minds can't really wrap themselves totally around that. It's like incomprehensible to us. It's too big. It's too vast. And that can be overwhelming, which can lead to despair. It can lead to um, numbness and just saying, well, I'm not going to do anything because what difference does it make what I do? It can just you know, turn people off, like, because it's just so overwhelming. And, and it's like, well, what, you want me to, st- to not live comfortably like I'm living? I, you know, I want to live the way I want to live. And, and we do, we do, and I get that. So, but the, it's also true that, the, that it is really true that when people start to act in some way, that that really can make people feel, be- feel better. And that's why we call ourselves the Jewish Climate Action Network. Because we're really trying to help people find ways to act, figure out what is the change that I can make, and what, and then once I've kind of settled in with that, what else can I do? You know, and to try not to feel totally guilty about the whole thing, which (laughs) is really easy to do. It's really easy to feel guilty. And the guilt, it, it might help in motivating you to do more, but it could also just drag you down so that you don't do anything. So, and that's why having the conversation in community can also be really helpful. And so getting the conversation going in synagogues can be really supportive of people who are trying to figure out what to do. I was going to say Jewish guilt is definitely a, a, d- a double-edged sword because it, <laughs> it can either drive you to do something or to fall down in despair. So Exactly, and that's true. And I think the more that something is talked about, the more likely it is that it will help people to act as opposed to get stuck in despair. Because if you say, oh, my friend is doing this and they're managing and they're doing it and, and they're feeling good about it, then you know maybe that can rub off on me and my community. Yeah. So how would you reach the people who just don't care? There's no easy way to do that. Or there would, if there were, there wouldn't be any people who didn't care. You know? <laughs> um, and I, I would say that there is a certain amount of those people, and it may be a large percentage of people who seemingly don't care, who actually do care, but don't, you know, they're, they're really busy with their lives. They're working. They have a family. They don't see any way forward you know they just they're like I don't have time and you know there are a lot of things that can be barriers that can get in the way for people so I think it's one of the things is really important is to try not to lay guilt on people we do it enough <laughs> but just talking about it I think just it's it's one of those things that the more you hear about it in ways that are positive energy producing in terms of the energy to do things the positive power power of energy that kind of thing the more that it becomes instead of having it be a contentious issue to 
turn it into something like, oh my gosh, look what we're doing. Isn't this cool? That kind of thing can really help, I think, in sort of bringing people into greater levels of willingness to be aware and to take some kind of action. What are some you know, small steps that someone could take today? You know, eating less meat is one that's kind of easy to do. You can start dropping a meat meal per week. Yes, Paul McCartney does meatless Mondays. Right. Meat-free Monday. That's right, right. Push. Yeah, so that, that kind of idea, um, because producing meat takes more energy than producing vegetable foods, you can think about your transportation. Where's the easy way to cut down on your transportation use. You can go and investigate where you are in your electric company and can you switch your energy, your electric source to renewables because it's just like you do it on the computer and you get it done, you know. So those are some simple things. Um, but it does take making the decision and saying, making the commitment. And within a family, I mean, you know, there's the individual and then there's the family and people within a family may not agree about what to do. So how do you have that conversation in a way that's positive? Because there are lots of really cool things going on. If you think about the Jewish farming movement, you know, there's just a lot of great, wonderful energy coming out of um, young Jewish farmers who are concerned about local food and, and you know, healthy food and all that kind of thing. And, and so if you start looking into what are, the, th there's what are the positive things that are happening, there's nonprofits involved, different places around the planet doing stuff that really helps create community and build energy and just wonderful feelings. So those are the kinds of things that we can take heart from. You know, whether we have what our future brings, I can't say. Have we passed a tipping point? Maybe. But how we go forward is super important, no matter what happens to the planet. So since none of us is really positive of what's going to happen, we might as well act and behave like we can save our planet, and then maybe we can. If we assume that we can't and just you know bury our heads in the sand, then for sure we won't. Pull us, pull us straight, Wally scenario. For people who've seen the movie Wally, you will get that reference. No one in this room does. That's fine. I, I, wa I want to go back to the the Judaic aspects of this because, mm -hmm. as you were saying, there's not a lot in the Torah specifically on the environment really at all. But there is that sense of of tikkun olam, which most people use as sort of a social justice direction. But it literally does say the world in it, right? To repair the world. Right. And so, like, is that where like the sort of reform and conservative Judaism's liberal bent we can say towards environmentalism come from or is it just like it matches with all the other things that judaism teaches so it is interesting because what we have witnessed in terms of things happening in synagogues is that when the green team and the social action team get together and say let's work on climate change that's like magic it like really makes things happen so that idea of tikkun olam and that that idea of what can we do to make the world a better place is, is clearly a vehicle for discussion about this. The other thing um, 
and I'm sorry that I don't remember where I first heard this to give proper credit, but the idea that Judaism is in its origins an indigenous religion. Like we, if you think about the patriarchs and the matriarchs, you know, they were living in deep connection to the land. And that's where we came from. And so the roots are there. There, there are, we can find lots and lots of connections to the earth. If, you know, you can start with, you know, verse one, Breshit, you know, God created the earth, the heavens and the earth. I mean, it's all there. It's like from the very beginning, we all have this. So, so when you start looking at Torah and Tanakh and, you know, even Talmud and, you know, just everything, post-biblical text, if when you start looking at it through a lens of connection to the earth, you can find it everywhere. So we have the resources. They're not, if you think about Psalms, I mean, there's just, there's so much in the Psalms about, you know, let the, let the heavens rejoice. And I mean, it's just, it's, there's a lot of earth connections crying out to the earth cries out. Um, so it's, it's easy to find connections once you start looking for them and you want you say that these are, these are here. So it's kind of on the one hand, we have lots and lots of resources, but they're not packaged neatly into, you know, this is the tractate of the Talmud that is about, you know, <laughs> putting on solar panels, you know, clearly we're not going to find that. So <laughs> there, there, so was, there wasn't one of those, um, like, rabbinical arguments over recycling versus solar panels, you know? <laughs> you know, the, the, right, right, right. And yet, if we look at things, you know, arguments carefully, you can f start finding things that give us hints about those. Yeah. What have the biggest obstacles, obstacles been that you've encountered, um, like spreading this message to Jewish organizations, because if you look at combined Jewish philanthropies, for example, there isn't any department or initiative that really focuses on climate change or the environment. Yes, and it's true. And the Jewish community has certainly made huge strides in the last couple of years to become more involved. And the fact of the matter is that the Pope's encyclical impacted every religious community because of its power and strength and the size of the Catholic Church around the world. And I know that it was inspiring in ways to the Jewish community as well. Um, but in a way, we are kind of late to the ball game, even though we have made progress. And it's really hard for me to like pinpoint what the reason for that is. When we formed the Jewish Climate Action Network, there were two things on my mind. One was there are lots of Jews working in secular organizations on climate, and it is true. It is very true. There are many people working, and uh, I'm sure that the percentage there is higher than, you know, our percentage in the community. So wanting, you know, the idea of saying to those people, yes, the Jewish community has your back. We care about what you're doing. Um, and the and and some of those people, in particular young people, I would say, who might be saying the Jewish community is not caring about this, so 
why should I care about the Jewish community? So that, that can be part of that conversation too. So wanting to say to those people, yeah, we care. Judaism is very concerned about continuity, but we tend to think about it in terms of Jewish continuity. The reality being, of course, if there's not human continuity, then there won't be Jewish continuity. But making that leap, I think, is sometimes difficult. Is there is there a is there a diaspora reason for that? The fact that, you know, if if we're, if we're not living in Israel and we're living somewhere else, like, no location for so long felt like an actual home for us. That, you know, we don't connect to the land the way. That's actually a really interesting question. Nailed it. Um, I I hadn't thought about it that way, but it is true that once we're in the di- diaspora, we did start losing our connections to the land. You know, so that you know you may sit and study all day, as opposed to walking outside and realizing that by looking at the trees. And you know, Rambam talks about this. You know that if you study the trees, you learn something, you know, in the nature, you learn something about God. And so we sort of stopped doing that and began to focus more on our texts. And so, and then the kinds of things that we were able to do in terms of not being able to own land, maybe, you know, becoming more in merchants and finances and kinds of that kinds of things. So, so I mean that makes sense that that's part of um, part of the whole journey that's that's one of thousands of years as opposed to you know just the past hundred years or whatever which which in in fact it is in terms of the 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 deep significance of it so um, in terms of our deep deeper impact on the the planet. I mean, because I, I was thinking, like, you know, um, Poland shtetl to ghetto to yeah. the Lower East Side. Right. There wasn't... Right. We didn't have land. Right, to, exactly. You know, that we called our own, and so... That, that, I mean, maybe that's an idea. Maybe someone's written a, th- a thesis about that. They can... Well, there, and, and there is... There, there is... That's definitely present. So... And it is true. I mean, it's true what you're saying, and that has definitely been part of the Jewish journey over the, the centuries. So Rabbi David Seidenberg has written a really interesting book Kabbalah and ecology, the divine image in the more than human world. And he goes through Jewish texts. It's a it's a it's scholarly in that it's really dense and it's accessible and that there are wonderful things in it. But basically saying everything is created in God's image and that you can find that in the Kabbalah, you can find that in um, in Rambam, in different parts of in Hasidic texts in different ways. It's fascinating to if you think about what that does to your perspective of the universe to think about everything being in God created in God's image as opposed to just just us human beings. So he puts, you know, that's a challenge to us to think about that. That's part of that how do we build that connection? So there is this real need and I think I think you're really right and this is really a big part I would say sort of not like, you know, a decade ago or 30 years ago, why people didn't get on board, but sort of more fundamentally in terms of Jewish identity, why we didn't get on board, which doesn't say that there haven't been Jewish farmers for, you know, in more recent times, but 
that there which there have been but but or just sort of if you think about the energy with which the Jewish farming movement has been is being recreated this like oh my gosh yes we can go back to the the land and we can reconnect to the land and the and the joy that that brings to people and the energy that that brings to people so it's it's exciting stuff that's happening that way and and it does shift your perspective the more that you have contact with the land so i would say that that is probably sort of at a fundamental level probably a big piece of it and it makes more sense in a way to think about it that way than to think about well why haven't people done anything in the past 20 years you know and so so it's sort of in the psyche how do we shift that part of our communal experience and some you know some people want to go out in the woods and some people don't want to and that's not going to change but it's more than that it's bigger than that it's beyond that i always make a joke that we as Jews are not people of the forest. We are not uh, right. we do people of the book. Right? Yes, we're, we're, we're people of the book. We like screened in porches to look upon nature before right. not to, to intrude upon me. That just might be my New York upbringing. But, um, so we have, we have a lot of questions that were sent in. I'm trying to see if we could go through ones that, you know, like some a, 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 almost a quick fire section, as it were. I'll try. Um, <laughs> I do tend to. Um, well, no, a, lo- a lot of these are not yes or no questions. So. <laughs> yeah. And I, one thing leads to another in my mother's mind. So, yeah. Okay, so going back to the future generation and preparing for the future, how would you go about teaching kids? So the Start re- with an easy one, yeah. Yeah, no, this, so the really important thing is to do it in a way that creates a positive experience for children. How can they do something where they feel empowered to be doing something? Because the fact of the matter is that kids know about it. By the time you get, if you think middle school, they all know it. And before that, most of them. There was a synagogue that did a program where they were trying to kind of envision what they might do in their future, and it was all around climate change. And and I think it was either the sixth or seventh grade class was there as a class part of their. Those kids provided really good ideas about what could be done. And if adults could hear those and take them seriously and partner with those kids to make things those things happen, that is transformative. That's transformative for everyone. That's transformative for the kids. It's transformative for the adults. It's transformative for the community. So I don't think that we take our kids seriously enough a lot of the time. I don't want I don't want to say that as a blanket statement because it <laughs> it can be true but often we do not take our our kids seriously enough. They get it. A lot of them get it. They don't need to be taught what we're doing. It's it's in the atmosphere and they're absorbing it. And they get some of it through public school and you know through through just media access. So they know. And you know if I'm in my 60s, I don't have all that much future left. But if I'm 12 years old, my whole life is in front of me. And, you know, by the time that child is 60 years old, you know, what is our planet going to look like? So I think we do everyone a favor if we really take them seriously. And sometimes they can go out and make huge changes on their own. There's actually a film. I have not seen it yet, but it's about about things that kids are doing for the climate. And I've heard that it's incredibly powerful. So 
what are the ways that we can really do that? Because it's really easy to give kids busy work. Like, oh, okay, you know, you can go plant a tree or something. Like, no, they know it's more than that. Yeah, planting the tree is important, but how do we go that from planting this one tree to planting trees in the whole community? You know, how do you take everything? So they can make a, they can make a huge difference. I actually did hear a whole program about, this was a public school, but they, this was somewhere in California. They partnered with a rancher, and those kids, the, the, the whole wetlands was destroyed due to, you know, agriculture and different things. And those kids, over the course of a period of years, they totally restored those ecosystems. They did it. It was those kids out there doing that work. You know, they went out there as a class, but they're the ones who made the change. And so kids can make a difference, and we need to let them, and we need to help them and give them the openings. How would you best you know, interact with either religious or non-religious folks who are skeptical about climate science? And I guess, I, the, the more the, I guess the, the question people are trying to figure out now is how to have a respectful conversation with someone you disagree with when you're talking about climate science. Because the human right. brain is not designed to handle a problem as big as that. Right, uh, right. We, you know, we're, uh, through evolution, right. we are designed to handle the thing closest to us and then the thing right. right in front of us and the thing five feet from us. That's really true. That is really true. We are not, we're not hired, wired to, to get this or to do anything about it. We tend to respond to whatever is most immediate, and so this is not most immediate. I would say, and I think this tends to be true when you're t having a conversation with somebody that you disagree with, that listening and asking questions is really important because I would say that the fundamental question underneath it is why is this person thinking that way? Because the fact of the matter is that the science is clear and you know there's now a passageway through you know the north you know the arctic ocean which I mean that's a clear indication of warming and a lot less ice and there's actually a Jewish organization called the Higher Ground Initiative that started in Florida because, you know, they're starting to experience rising sea levels, and it's pretty flat there. As opposed to, like, trying to push yourself on somebody to try and understand why they're coming, why they're saying what they're saying, where they're coming from, what is it that has brought them to this, is probably the best bet. And I would also say that it is really s nice and safe and convenient to believe that it's not happening. And somebody who believes that it's not happening may not be able to shift to believing that it is happening. Because think about what that would do to their world. The other thing is, you know, one of the one of my favorite um, signs at marches is something to the effect of, "So what if we made the world a place better place, and then it turned out climate change isn't real? You know, the climate isn't changing." So how we're we're talking about building community, we're talking about saving our community money, we're talking about 
being kinder to animals. You know, there, there are different ways to think about it, too, and to think about it as we're building community, we're creating something beautiful here, and we want you to be a part of that, even if you don't agree with the reason of why we're doing it. Because ultimately, we all are impacted, although it is also true that you know, the more vulnerable among us around the planet are more vulnerable to the impacts of climate change, too. You know, money and position and privilege and power can also lead us to feel less impacted and actually be less impacted. That would be my answer to that question. So go in not trying to change their mind. Go, go into actually having a conversation and understanding where they come from. Right. Exactly. I think that works on a lot of topics, too. Because yeah, because exactly. Because everyone wants to think they are right. So being open to hearing someone's opinions is a good way of right. you know, bringing them. Yeah, and I think the difficulty that for that, for the person who is having that conversation, is if you really know that climate change is happening, that it, it can be really painful and difficult to try and just, s- to just sit and have somebody tell you all the reasons that it's not which is why to try and get beyond the you know the sort of surface reasons to to something deeper which you know you can't do with everybody but it can be a way to to start (laughs) or try and at least engage somebody a little bit excellent well thank you so much for talking with us today hopefully we can um you know we didn't get to all the questions we had and i know um, hopefully people will email us at podcast at jewishboston.com and send us more questions and maybe you can if we get enough enough together maybe we can have you uh, either back on the podcast or answer some questions you know on jewish boston itself that so would be that would be fine we would be happy to do that and and i could also bring in some other people who are involved in jewish climate action network who could bring some other kinds of expertise to to answer you know more technical kinds of questions but i also just want to say you know and just invite people to first of all check out our website, jewishclimate.org. Sign up for our email list to get involved, to sign up for the benchmarking campaign, to just get your your community involved and or more involved. So Great. I look forward to to meeting more of you. Excellent. There are things there are things people can do out there. So exactly. start doing it. Right, right, <laughs> exactly. So feel empowered and keep on keep on going. Well thank you. You're welcome. Thank you very much. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. I hope you enjoyed our conversation with Rabbi Katie Allen of the Jewish Climate Action Network. Thank you again for listening. I know there are a lot of podcasts out there. I listen to many myself. So I thank you again for taking the time to listen to us. And please don't forget to subscribe and give us a review on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts, whether it's Stitcher or SoundCloud, all of the different other places. I want to thank Combined Jewish Philanthropies and JewishBoston.com for supporting us and doing this podcast. And I want to thank Sean Vogel for our amazing, amazing music. If you want to get more involved in the Jewish Climate Action Network, you can check out their website at JewishClimate.org or on Facebook. So always remember that hopefully tomorrow will be better than today. Shalom, everybody.